Hey, good morning, church. Um, so today's message is, as you can see, about joy in missions. And um, we will look at the passage from Luke chapter 10, verse um, 1 to 24. So I think this is quite a familiar passage to many people. This is the, the, uh, the account of Jesus sending out his uh, 72 disciples. So it's a very long passage uh, until from chapter 1 to 24. So I will um, just uh, highlight some verses. Okay, there are actually four main parts. The first part is about Jesus sending out his 72. Um, then um, there is a woe to the unrepentant cities, followed by the return of these 72 people. And finally, from verse 21 uh, to 24, it's about Jesus rejoicing in the Father's will. So we start from the first part where Jesus sends out his 72. Verse 1, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. If not, it will return to you. So if we read this account up to this part, we'll think that you know, missions is actually very scary and challenging, right? Jesus Jesus tells his disciples that they will be sent out as lambs among wolves. And they were also told not to bring any extra things with them, right? No extra bag, no extra sandals, but to just go. But let's just read on to what happens when these 72 people come back, right? Um, oh, and he even said um, to eat in the same, uh, in, remain in the house and eat and drink whatever the person, pro- uh, the person of the house provides for, for you. Meaning that, um, you just eat whatever is offered to you, right? And um, you have to just trust for provisions because you don't have any bag or anything to bring your food. And he said, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And so, when the disciples returned, what happened? Right? Were, they, were they complaining about, oh, we had no food to eat? Um, we, we were very cold, we had no extra clothing? No. What did they do? They returned with joy, saying, Lord, Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven." Verse uh, 21, In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then, turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So you see, despite the challenges that Jesus preempted his disciples would face, right? the post-mortem mission trip report was all about joy, right? The, the disciples returned with joy. Jesus said that they were blessed to have seen what they did. And Jesus himself rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. You know, for Winston and I, we can testify that um, our journey towards missions so far, and even as we stand on the brink of this new adventure in Nepal, has been one filled with so much joy despite many uncertainties, despite even some trepidation about what's going to happen. Um, But we have so much joy in our hearts 
um, more than we ever imagined that we could have. And as we read this passage of Jesus sending the 72 out, uh, we can see that there are many sources of joy if we are willing to step out in faith and obedience in mission. And we can summarize them into four Ps. Sorry, using Ps again. Okay? Joy in God's power, joy in God's provision, joy in God's presence, and finally, joy in God's promise. So firstly, we can rejoice in seeing God's power unleashed and His kingdom advancing. All missions start from the sovereignty and authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the start of the year, uh, Pastor Kokvai um, reminded us of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, which, which, in which Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So notice the word therefore, right? It is because of Jesus' authority that we can go forth in full confidence to make disciples of all nations, right? And it's because of his authority that our missions are not in vain. Recently, uh, in November last year, um, we had the opportunity of going back to Nepal and uh, we had a chance to meet uh, several ex-leprosy patients um, who were cared for in the International Nepal Fellowship, which is the organization that we'll be joining. So these uh, leprosy, these people who were afflicted with leprosy, they were the destitutes of society. They were poor, they were powerless, they were persecuted, and they were essentially thrown out of the villages by their own families, much like in Jesus' time. And um, these, these, uh, these patients were then treated by uh, the staff in INF, and through the work of this organization, many of them came to Christ. So in about the um, 70s to 80s period, um, the 1970s to 1980s, um, the government essentially resettled about 30 of them into this place called uh, Badia. Right, so I just went to do a Google uh, satellite uh, picture search, right? And so this is Badia. You can see it's mainly green. It's just all green. So it was very thick, very thick jungle area. And the reason why um, they were sent there to such a remote Ulu place was because even though they were cured of their leprosy, the locals were still afraid of them. Right? So they were sent to this um, very thick jungle that was also a place where prisoners were sent to. Essentially a place that no one, did, no one wanted to go. It was a place with many... Uh, dangerous, wild animals, and they had to clear the jungle. So imagine this thick jungle, and they had to literally clear the jungle in order to find a space to build their homes. So in such dire circumstances, uh, guess what these people did? They decided, we shall build a hut and pray. So the first thing they did was not to build their own houses. They decided to build a hut, and they got down on their knees, and they prayed to God for help. Right? And so, that was how the first church in Badia was formed. Amazingly for them, uh, Jesus promised in Luke 10 verse 19, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on sermons and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. You know, this promise from Jesus literally came through for, the, for these people. So they said that... Um, Snake bites, scorpion bites were very common in that area, but not one of those families who were resettled to that area was bitten by any of these, um, these, uh, these snakes or scorpions or any, any other things. So God protected these people. Right? And we were so privileged that we got a chance to actually meet some of these, um, these Badia Christians, these ex-leprosy uh, patients who are now pastoring, who are now pastoring one, uh, many of the churches, they are in Badia. And today, there are more than 100 churches in that district. Yeah, pretty amazing, right? Just in a matter of 30, um, 30 40 years, there, there, are 100, there are more than 100 churches um, in this district, and they are the next generation of Christians who are taking over to spread the word of God. And the church in Nepal, not just in Badia, in, in all parts of Nepal, is growing rapidly despite uh, opposition, despite persecution. You know, praise the Lord, you know, that our, uh, God's kingdom is advancing even in such a difficult place like Nepal. 
um, in Luke, um, in Luke uh, chapter 10, Jesus, uh, the account says that the disciples also experienced God's power and victory over the evil one. Right? The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. One of the greatest mistakes we can make as Christians is to think that the devil doesn't exist and to be ignorant of the ways that he tries to attack us. However, on the other hand, an equally fatal mistake is also to be so fearful of the devil that we get paralyzed into action, right? Because we, there is no need as, as believers to have that kind of fear because Jesus has won the victory over us, or over Satan. He said, Behold, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. In our lives, we can sometimes get fearful or discouraged when we experience uh, spiritual attacks. But know this, that the devil attacks us because he feels threatened. He can see what God is doing in us and through us. And that's why he wants to thwart God's plans. But don't be discouraged. Every attack of the devil is an opportunity to witness the power and victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I can, I can testify to how, um, you know, I've experienced this firsthand. I think some of you probably in the worship team would know that uh, since I started serving in the worship ministry, I would get um, a cough, a, a, a sore throat, my, my nose would start running just before the worship um, day. So on Sunday, say for example on Sunday and then just a few days before I would get sick, right, and I'm supposed to be singing. And at first, I thought not, nothing of it. But when it started to happen, nearly every single time, then I realized that this wasn't just an illness, right? It was, it was a spiritual attack. And um, so in, I, I, at first, I was like, okay, should I sing? Should I not? What should I do? But when I realized this, I decided, that, okay, I'm just going to pray, to trust God, and to continue worshiping. And you know what? The most amazing thing is I would have a really bad throat. I'll be like all congested. But the moment I open my mouth to worship God on Sunday, right, it's suddenly as if I have a new voice. Right? And I know this because immediately after I sing for that worship set, I come down and my voice will be terrible again. And um, before the next service, it will, it will continue to be so sore and I, I just can't hear, I can't sing. And then when the next service, I step up again and I open my mouth. It suddenly seems as if my ears get unblocked. I have a new voice and I can sing. Right? So I know that this is of God. It's not me. Because, you know, like I'm, I'm a, from a medical scientist perspective, right? you have a control. Right? So I have a bad voice. Suddenly it becomes good and then it becomes bad again. And then, when the next service comes, the voice comes back again, right? So I know that this is God, God's victory. And my voice is, is not, it's not of me, right? It's of God. And I thank God that, you know, he will not let his name go to shame. And despite what the devil tries to do to us, God is still victorious. So I encourage all of us, you know, if we experience spiritual attacks when we are doing something for God, don't be discouraged, you know, just... Just keep on persisting because our God is victorious. Keep on singing and keep on worshipping. You know, even during this time when we are, we are, there's so much anxiety around us, I would just want to encourage all of us just to keep on worshipping and singing praise to our victorious King. Amen? Amen. Okay, next. Um, the disciples also experienced joy in God's provision. He, uh, the, Jesus actually told them, carry no money mac, mac, uh, no knapsack, no sandals, and remain in the house eating and drinking what they provide. So essentially he said, don't bring extra, God, God will provide for you. Right? That, that is essentially the message. Right? And I think it is very difficult for a lot of people who live in Singapore. Right? We like to be secure uh, financially. We like to make sure we have a lot of savings, uh, we bring a lot of barang when we go on a holiday. I know some people will be afraid that they can't um, get used to a food in a certain place. 
right? So traveling, they will bring their bakwa and their instant noodles. Yeah, and of course, I think no one really wants to travel now, and maybe instant noodles are not so easily available in the stores these last two days. Yeah, but you know, for, for a lot of us, we just want to make sure we have everything with us. We are very secure. And if you are told, okay, go now and don't bring anything with you, I think most of us will feel a lot of trepidation, right? A lot of anxiety. Or maybe some of us, we have accumulated so many things. We feel that, okay, I have too much. I need to declutter. So how many of you have heard of this, uh, this uh, lady who is this guru of decluttering called uh, Marie Kondo? Yeah, she's a Japanese lady, right? And, and she talks about how uh, we can uh, declutter by choosing uh, things which, uh, keeping things which spark joy, right? So essentially, if something sparks joy, keep it. If something doesn't, throw it out, right? That was, that was um, her philosophy. And so I actually saw her book in a bookstore a couple of years ago, and um, I decided, okay, maybe I shall, not uh, I shall not clutter my home with her book. So I just stood in the bookstore and I <laughs> read the whole book there. <laughs> and I didn't buy the book, yeah. So actually, I'm, I'm quite happy I didn't buy the book. Because after I finished reading the book, I was very puzzled. Because I couldn't figure, figure out how her philosophy was going to work in my life. Right? What should I do with my washing machine? Which um, I know I need, but it doesn't spark joy, you know? Um, <laughs> And I know there were some spools that were later, that were later made, you know, um, I think as gag or some people were making spools about uh, decluttering in your office and then maybe uh, clearing out your colleagues that don't spark joy or something like that, you know. <laughs> so I think it, yeah, it's getting like a lot of, right, there, there's like um, TV series made on it, there's a lot of hype about it. But I just, you know, after, after reading and all that, I, I just felt that there was this sense of, of emptiness now, I couldn't figure out how something was supposed to spark joy and continue sparking joy for, for me. Because, yeah, you know, I used to buy things on impulse. Right? It, I, of course, bought it because I thought I, I liked it very much. Right? It sparked joy. That's why I bought it, right? But then when I brought it back, after a while, it didn't make me as happy any, as, as, as I was before. So, you know, Winston um, shared with uh, some of us that uh, about two years ago, God led us to live a simpler life. Right, unrelated to missions, but God led us to live a simpler life where we gave away uh, a lot of our possessions and we moved uh, to a smaller place. And um, in that process, it was then that I realized that joy comes not from what we have, but from whose we are. And we are children of God who provides for all our needs. We are children of God who provides for all our needs. Last year, when God called us to missions, we did not know how we would be supported financially. Um, and ironically, God challenged us not only just to trust Him, but also to give more. You know, uh, when, when we thought we should be saving more, God told us, no, give, give more, and I will provide for you. And along the way, God has constantly amazed us with His faithful provision, way beyond our imagination. And we can affirm that there is so much joy and freedom in letting go of earthly things and trusting in God. Thirdly, we find joy in God's presence through the Holy Spirit. In verse 21, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is no longer on earth with us, but he has given us the Holy Spirit who is with us and in us at all times. This whole year has been uh, for uh, the whole past year has been for Winston and I um, a crash course almost in the school of the Holy Spirit, where we learn to listen and obey the Holy Spirit, where we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and to even intervene in our lives and allow Him to speak and use us in ways that we couldn't imagine before. You know, when we take risks and step out in faith, the Holy Spirit can equip us with new gifts that we need for our mission. So, for example, uh, both of us were recently given this gift of uh, songwriting. And I have been given the gift of art and painting. I never knew I could paint and all that before, before this time. And um, we believe that, that God gave us this gift because there's something exciting that he wants to do in Nepal. And we are really excited to see what he'll actually do with this um, art and music gifts that he has given us. So, because uh, we were 
now some of the pastors, the pastors know that, that you know, we, we write songs. So we were requested to, to write a song for our commissioning. <laughs> so up to two weeks ago, um, we were getting quite, at least I was getting a bit anxious because we did not have a song. <laughs> so it was two weeks before this and we did not have a song. So after much prayer and uh, yeah, meditation, finally um, I wrote a song. I mean, I wrote the lyrics of a song. But up to last week, there was no tune. <laughs> I was prepared to read a poem. <laughs> so last Saturday, I was getting desperate. I said, God, we really need a tune, right? And so what I did, I, I prayed. I, I took this poem, went to my piano, um, switched on the voice recorder, and then just started playing and singing. And the tune just came out, and, I, and it was recorded in one take. And I know this is the work of the Holy Spirit because I couldn't remember what I sang after it was done. And I'm so glad I recorded it because I had to replay a few times just to get the tune because I didn't know what I sang. So it was the Holy Spirit who was just moving my, my mouth, my hands, and was just playing the song. Right, so that's how this song that we will later um, sing was written. And um, two days after that, I was having a dinner with a, a couple, and this sister in Christ, in the middle of our conversation, she suddenly said, um, I see a vision. And this vision is of a white jar. And, and then she started describing more of the vision. And then she said that, I feel that, um, that you um, are like this vessel, right? This white uh, vessel that God is going to use in a mighty way um, for the people around you to show, to show God's light. And I, I mean, I was, I was surprised because it was just very random, right? And I, I just went to bed reflecting. And then the next day, I realized that, um, that actually the, the song that I wrote, the title was called Vessels. Right? So it is about God, uh, about us, our cry to God that He will use us as vessels of God's love and light. Yeah, so I was so encouraged, um, you know, by this affirmation from God that all this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Yeah. And um, uh, not unexpectedly, I started having symptoms again a few days ago. Okay, so don't worry. I'm not coughing. I'm not sneezing. But my ears are blocked. So they have been blocked for the last few days. And um, I can't hear very well. I actually can't hear myself. Sing, um, in even talk also, I can't really hear. But later, later we will be singing um, the song that, that God helped us to write. And I want to use the song later, right, as a, as a declaration of victory to God, that no matter what, I cannot hear myself, I cannot hear the keyboard, it's okay, right? God, God is the one who is victorious, and He is the one, right, um, who I'll continue to worship despite um, all hardships because because of God's promise. And what is God's promise? He promised that our names are written in heaven. Right? Jesus said, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It is because we know that our destiny is secure in Christ, right? that we can take risks and we can step out in faith in this life. And we can all have this privilege and joy of preparing the way for our Lord's return, just like these 72 who went ahead of our Lord Jesus. Okay, so now Winston will take over the second part. Then we'll do the song. Morning. My wife is a tough act to follow. <laughs> but um, So we read about the 72, right? The 72 in Luke chapter 10. And actually before Luke chapter 10, in Luke chapter 9, right, Jesus calls his 12 apostles, his 12 disciples, right, um, Peter, James, John, and a whole lot. You know, everybody knows who the 12 apostles are, right? Uh, some of them have even written books in our New Testament. But who actually are the 72? Who are the 72? And actually, nobody knows. Nobody knows to this day, although people have tried to do research and find out, nobody knows who are these 72, right? They were actually anonymous, and perhaps Luke intended that. 
Right? Perhaps Luke intends us to see that God doesn't just send out the high-profile, the famous people, right? like the Hudson Taylors or whoever. God chooses and sends out anonymous people, ordinary people like you and me, out to do extraordinary things. And even before he sent them out, right, Jesus already said that there weren't enough of them. Right, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, as people who are not farmers, we are non-agricultural, actually we can miss the, the depth of this. Because not having enough workers at harvest time is a disaster. It's a disaster. What will happen is that the crop will literally rot in the field because there is no one to collect it. This is a picture from an article from the UK, taken last year, where because of a severe labour shortage in the UK, tons and tons of beautiful fruit and vegetables, like these apples, were just left to rot in the field, rotting in the field, right, because there weren't enough workers. So there's an urgency to Jesus' command. There's an urgency to Jesus' command. So we need to pray urgently right, that God will send out labourers into the harvest. But you know what happens when we pray? Right, so this is the parallel account in Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus tells his disciples the exact same thing. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And you know what happens after this? Immediately in the next chapter of Matthew, Jesus calls his 12 disciples and he sends them out to preach the gospel. When we pray, we end up becoming the answer to that prayer. The harvest is just as plentiful today. Right? The needs are just as pressing as in Jesus' time. We need many, many more people who will say, yes, Lord, send me out into your harvest. And we need the whole church to be involved in mission, not just a small group of people. As, as Charles Spurgeon once said, mission, is, it is the whole business of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. And it's not just about going overseas. Right? It is about being faithful wherever God calls us to and wherever God places us. We are all missionaries for Christ. So what can we do? What can we do practically? Right? Um, I want to frame my reflections here around Jesus' parting words to his disciples right? in Luke chapter 24, just before he ascended back to heaven. And Jesus said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And notice Jesus says first, beginning from Jerusalem. Beginning from Jerusalem. And the disciples at that point of time were in Jerusalem. Right? They were in their own city. And so mission starts in our own city, right? which is Singapore. Right? And this is you know, my own neighborhood right? in Singapore, which is Topayo. And you know, there are so many ways in which we can be involved in missions, even here in Singapore. Right? You can volunteer at our CSC. You don't have to go far across the seas to cross cultures. Right? At a CSC, you'll meet people from different backgrounds, different ethnic groups, different walks of life, different ages, all in one place. Right? They're all in our backyard. And it is a real great encouragement for us to see how many residents of Hiban Gardens have come to faith just through the work of the CSC. And there are still many, many more. Right? The harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Volunteer your time and your talents. Who knows, perhaps God can use them to start new ministries or new outreach opportunities. Right? We should not be content to just rest on our laurels and what we have done so far. There are new harvest fields that are waiting out there. You know, God has blessed our church with many talents. Right? We have many talented musicians, we have lawyers, we have doctors, we have engineers, teachers, even talented cooks and chefs. Right? How can these skills be used to further God's kingdom here in Singapore? Open our eyes to the people around us. Right? Sometimes that opportunity for witness, for mission, is just a door away. I want to share a personal testimony. One of our neighbours um, in our flat in Topayo uh, is a young uh, Malay Muslim and his wife. Right? And I bumped into him a few times around our block. And I, I realised that we have a shared interest in photography. Uh, so recently, we went on a, a photography trip, right, a photography walk around our neighborhood, Topayo, right? And we actually walked in this area just to take photos. And we were just chatting, and he casually asked me, you know, what books are you reading at now? And at a point of time, I happened to be reading this book called The Insanity of God, right, which I shared about in my last sermon. And so I got to share with him a bit about it, and I also got to share about how in many countries, right, Christians are being persecuted for their faith, right? 
Um, and after that, we invited him over for dinner, he and his, his wife. And uh, we were just chatting again, and we realized you have a shared love for music, right? For music and playing the guitar. So we said, okay, we must jam together. Okay, so we arranged another day for them to come over to our place, right? Just like, you know, one minute walk away, or less than that, just to, to jam. And so we brought our guitars and we were playing together. And then during the, the session, we, you know, he, he casually asked, oh, do you write songs? And as, as a matter of fact, I said, oh, yes, I do, right? I write songs about my faith, about my, my Christian journey. And guess what? That whole night, Sherman and I ended up singing the songs that we have written, right, about our faith. And he even played along for some of them, right? He even sang along some of the words. And I was just amazed. I was just like, wow, God, what is going on right here, right? But, but it was just happening in front of our eyes. Right? And, and because of that, we also got to share um, a lot more about our faith, about our journey to missions, about how God called us and how God has been working in our lives. Looking back, I realized something, right? If we are not missionaries in Jerusalem, we will not be missionaries to the end of the earth. God did not call us to be missionaries to Nepal until we were ready to be missionaries in our own city. And then next, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which is really a continuation of the book of Luke, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Where is Judea and Samaria? So this is a map of the Holy Land in Jesus' time. And you'll see Judea is the, is the province in which Jerusalem sits, right? Judea. And Samaria is the neighboring province. So where is Judea and Samaria for us in Singapore? Perhaps it is the countries around us, right? Malaysia, Indonesia, Batam, Thailand. Look further, China, India, Bhutan, Pakistan, Hong Kong, Philippines. Even further, who knows? Go for a short-term mission trip overseas. Pastor Kokfai will speak about that very shortly. You know, the 72 went for a short-term mission trip. And look how their lives were changed because of that. But don't treat it just as a meaningful holiday. Right? Prepare seriously. Prepare for it in prayer, in the study of the Word. Learn as much as you can about the language, about the culture of the place that you're going to. Leave your own assumptions behind. And go with a humble and open heart to see how God is working in foreign lands. And don't just go once. Keep going back. Don't be what I call a mission trip tourist, right? Just hopping from one place to another. Learn the language well. It makes a huge difference. And here we can learn a lot from the Apostle Paul. Right? Once he established a church in a new place, he will go back and visit if he could. And if he can't, he will write a letter, write letters to encourage them. And these letters are found in our New Testament. Right? He kept connected with the churches he had planted. He built long-term relationships with the Christian community. Right? And so should we. You know, speaking of um, long-term, uh, short-term mission trips, right? this was one of my earliest mission trips right, to the Philippines in 2004. I think you can see some familiar people. Right? Um, it is a slightly younger pastor singing and family, right, and me. Right? This is in the Philippines. Uh, I think we still look the same now, roughly. Right? And you know, this is one of my earliest mission trips. And I believe in, in these early trips, right, a, seed, a deep seed was planted in my heart. Right? There is only, I think, bearing more and more fruit right now. And finally, Jesus says, right, you, to the end of the earth, right, to the end of the earth. And sometimes you might wonder, are, you know, are you really serious, God? Right? Do we really have to go to the end of the earth, right, for you? You know, Paul said something very interesting in Romans chapter 15. He says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, right, to go to Spain. So he intended to go to Rome and then to Spain. And this is a map of the Roman Empire at the time. And you, you see, Spain, this is where Spain is. Spain to Paul was literally the end of the earth. End of the earth. Because at that time, America had not been discovered yet. Right? That was only by Columbus many, many centuries later. So Spain was literally the end of the earth to Paul. Paul took Jesus' command seriously. He was headed for the end of the earth. And we should take his command seriously too. An interesting thing is this, right? Many of us today in, in Singapore are already traveling to the ends of the earth, right? Whether for holidays, some of us for work, for, for overseas postings, for studies. You know, we can learn not just from, from Paul, we can also learn from Daniel. When God places us in a foreign land for whatever reason, right? We can pray, we can seek the welfare of the city, we can encourage the local church, we can pray for the people. And that brings me to my last point this morning, which is this, pray, pray. 
Missions is spiritual warfare. We have seen it. And prayer is our most effective weapon. If the battle is the Lord's, then prayer is the way that we stay in constant communication with the commander, who is Jesus. Right? And Jesus himself, I believe, was praying and engaging in spiritual warfare as his 72 went out. And that's why we could see Satan falling like lightning from heaven. Recently, I heard a very encouraging testimony of a brother in Christ, right, from our congregation, who prefers not to be named. But this man met an elderly lady at Teban Gardens at our Christmas event last year. And this lady was suffering from very bad leg and back pain. And this brother said that his heart broke for this lady, and he felt moved to keep praying for this woman. Recently, he and his good friend had a chance to visit this lady and to pray for them. And before that, he cried out to God, right, to, cried out to, God to break the hold of Satan over this lady and claimed her for Christ. That morning, in the lady's home, they prayed for her and her husband, shared the gospel with them, led them to repent of their sins, and then to accept Christ. And later that day, right, I think um, Pastor and a few others went down to remove idols from their home. Prayer works wonders, right? Praise the Lord. So regardless of where we all are, right, we are called to be prayer warriors. And I wonder, as in closing, what happened to those 72 right, in Luke chapter 10? What happened to them? We don't hear anything more about them. We can only guess. Perhaps some of them continued following Jesus. Right? Perhaps some of them were among the 122 people who were gathered on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 1 when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. But one thing is certain right, for the 72. Their lives could never be the same again. Are we willing to take a risk to step out in faith, to be part of God's mission. Let's commit ourselves to do something this morning right, and see how God will change our lives before, because of that. But one final word, or rather a warning, right, right before Luke chapter 10, in the end of Luke chapter 9, it says this, To another he said, Jesus said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those who are at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, maybe Jesus called more than 72 people, but there were some, there were many, who like these two gave excuses not to follow him. And these excuses sound perfectly legitimate, perfectly fine. But because of these excuses, they missed out on the opportunity of a lifetime. So if this morning God is stirring something in your heart, don't give excuses. Obey and say yes to Him. Don't miss out. You won't regret it. So now we're going to sing this song for you, right? Um, and uh, I hope that it is an encouragement for all of us to just offer ourselves up to God and to be vessels of His love. song is called Vessel. Eternal glory, you 
Okay, we don't have such a big crowd today, uh, but you know this virus has spoiled my experiment because I used to think that Mission Sunday is uh, where we have an excuse to visit other churches or just sleep in at home. Um, because some of us may have felt that on Mission Sunday, you know, this is it's a guilt trip that we do not want to take. And Mission Sunday is when we are told... Um, of the millions who die without Christ and we are shown sad pictures of naked and hungry children. 
And, uh, but I'm glad that Winston and Sherman talked about joy in missions this morning. Let me continue with a similarly very acceptable topic of uh, rest. And you know the famous verse, right? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I, Jesus, will give you rest. But did you know that just three verses earlier, we read the parallel account of what we have read this morning in Luke chapter 10, that Jesus was thanking God, the Father uh, in heaven, that he has hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children because that was the Father's uh, gracious uh, will. And this was about the 72 who returned with great joy from a short-term mission trip. And following that joyous episode, Jesus talked about rest. And I can imagine Jesus having a really good uh, a laugh with the 72 disciples as they banter about uh, on this post-mortem of that mission trip. And the banter might go something uh, like this. When the 72 say, Lord, Lord, you know, the demons uh, are subject when we just use your name in Jesus' name. And Jesus say, um, you know, I saw Satan felt like lightning from heaven. And, and you guys, you just rejoice, okay? Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Matthew 11, Luke 10 has both these verses. 11.25, Luke 10.21. What were these things that were hidden from the wise and understanding but revealed to little children? What things? And I believe that this thing is the childlike joy that were revealed to little children. The childlike joy when we simply obey the Father's will and we share His heart for missions. And this year, as we send out four doctors into the mission field. And I want us to rejoice. I want us to rejoice as I now reveal the history of missions in, in PPH, at least from when I joined PPH in 1980. That's 40 years ago, okay, when my hair was still black. So some historical snippets. Our first mission trip, or at least when I, since when I joined in August 1980, I can't remember if it is 1980 or 81 now, was to this far away, far away place called Johor Bahru. And I remember one word, Ulu. Jalan Ulu Ae Molek, which is where JB Gospel Chapel was. And there we went door to door, sharing uh, the gospel. And then after, soon after that, we went much, much further to a place called Moa. Okay, 190 kilometers away. And, and you know, the people were so open then in the 19, early 1980s, um, we just walk into their home, they're all kampongs, we walk in, we sat down. They like, don't even take notice of us. Ten minutes later, they will say, ah, what you want, ah? And then we start talking uh, about the, the gospel. Uh, next up, we went to, to Sabah, and, um, and it was really exciting. It is like fear factor, you know, we walk on rope bridges across the river, we bathe in the river late in the night, Next morning, we wake up and see that the river is yellow and brown, okay? When you go into the toilet, we carry two canisters. One mosquito repellent, the other one air freshener, okay? Because the toilets were all uh, uh, outhouses. And in 1981, we took a huge step. We took a 4,800-kilometer step to Pakistan, where we sent Eric and Rhonda. We took amazing risks, and we make a lot of mistakes. We established a place we call Beam House, where the Christians would gather to worship God. 1992, we sent Sauchi to Indonesia to teach in a Bible school there. In that same year, Mark was sent to Operation Mobilization OM, where he was part of an overland trip, uh, overland team that went all the way across uh, Central Asia, from Europe, and Singing and I met up with him uh, then. Uh, Namak, as we all know now, is in a Southeast Asian country. Look how young the, the guy is. He's, like, he's as young as the baby that Singing was carrying. <laughs> and then we went to the Philippines, uh, on, firstly on mission trips. Uh, you can see some familiar faces. I think Alan is, uh, was there, of course, myself, and then Jeffrey Wong already holding a camera in those days. And we commissioned singing and family, January of 1998, from where came Care Channels now, and which is operating in eight countries very successfully. We have several domestic helpers sent 
and trained as missionaries going back to their homeland. And I really cannot wait to get a photo from Auntie Eng Siang here, okay? I'm going to do a photo collage of we commissioning singing, and then now singing, praying to commission Winston and Sherman. That beautiful photo collage I'm going to put in my Facebook. Then to East Asia, okay, because we do not want, I think this is recorded, to mention a country by name. 1993, we sent CYC, I Ching, who is here now, somewhere here. Okay, welcome back. 1998, we sent Choi Yong. 2008, we sent Sharon. And a very strategic work is being done now in East Asia as we are now training Chinese missionaries. Okay? And they can be found all over the world now in Nepal, in, in the, the Tans, the, the, the what, Tajikistan, the Uzbekistan, the Pakistan, Egypt, Jordan, everywhere. Some of you here may not know that our pastor, Lo Chi Ming, spent seven years as a missionary in Asia too. You look at this picture. It's not a missionary picture. It's a honeymoon picture. <laughs> so I'm going to ask Pastor Chi Ming to include a training module in our premarital counseling, our, what we call now our marriage preparation sessions. That compulsory program will be called Missions Honeymoon. Okay, any one of you going on a honeymoon, include missions in there. Then Timor-Leste in the year 2006, where we responded to what we, we say was a Macedonian call, where the president at the time said, come and help our orphans and wid widows because they went through a terrible time of uh, civil war. And this is where Raj and Lois will be going to in August. Um, around that time also, we, we entered a work uh, in, in uh, Batam. Uh, we had a church camp in Batam. And uh, Sengeng and myself, we just took a side trip to visit this work that we knew was going on there. And then we just felt like instant chemistry with uh, Sarah and her team. And, and so we uh, decided to, to go in. And the next year, in 2007, we had this Amazing Grace Batam, our first and only missions camp to date, as far as I can remember, where we had like 150, 200 of us going out there only for missions. We did health screening, we did uh, food distribution to the poor, and, and, and all that. Missions at home. Um, 2009, again, Seng and I, we just felt like, let's take a look at... Uh, the foreign workers in our midst. So we went to this Penjuru dormitory. We went to take a look. Uh, very soon, the next year, uh, we had a health a screening for many, many foreign workers and we began a Telugu service which is running for nine years now from where we have seen many, many baptized sent back and we in fact have now three families in Bible school uh, waiting to uh, uh, join uh, the work there. Um, not last year, but two years ago, to Thailand, where we now have our very reverential uh, Alan Chua in a collar. I don't know who gave him that collar. <laughs> okay. and, and also, he's an excellent pig farmer. Okay. And of course, Nepal. There is such great joy in missions. Winston encouraged us not to be missions tourists, you know, going everywhere and just take a look here, take a look there. But to go back to that same place, and I think Xing is one of our best examples. I do not know how many times he's been to East Timor, but he goes yearly. And this year, he's going again in September. You can see the joy. Less hair, but more joy. Okay? More joy, a smoother face, a brighter smile. Joy, why? Because he's fruitful on the left side and he's fishing on the right side. But it is insufficient to say that the church of God, PPH, we have a mission in this world for this world. Because it is actually the God of mission has a church in this world. The God of missions has PPH. What on earth are we doing then? So participation with God in missions is this joyous, life-giving privilege that we have. Yes, there is a yoke. Yes, there is a burden. But it is a joy to be yoked to the God of missions because He is the one who is doing all the heavy lifting or rather the, the heavy pulling. And we go along for the joy ride. And, and as uh, our Rebecca Wu always say, we have a front row seat. We have a front row, row seat to witness the God of missions 
at work. So today, I want to give you, um, we have a great opportunity, uh, opportunity. We have live updates from the field. Uh, Alan Abassi in Thailand, uh, Mike Kyrie from Timor-Leste, and uh, I believe CYC for East Asia. These are the various places you can go to at 11.15 to 12, and you can hear them talk about uh, the land, the people, their work. And also, uh, uh, at lunch, we're going to be meeting the, the same group of people over the lunch table. This will be less formal. For those of you who did not register, you can still come, but just don't eat. Okay, <laughs> just, just fast, uh, but join us and, and, and talk to our missionaries, okay? And this year, we have planned many mission trips, uh, but with a caveat, okay? Depending on how this coronavirus situation goes and, and all that, but we, life has to carry on, okay? So we're continuing to plan uh, for this. And you know the verse, uh, 1 John four twenty: For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The problem is some of us do not want to see, right? I've heard many comments through my 40 years here. Like, yeah, mission trip, all these poor children, dirty, the, 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 what mucus coming out from the nose. I really don't want to see, you know. I, after that, I cannot have lunch and, and all that. But get out there to see so that you can love. Okay, so top left-hand corner, we are going to Abra in the Philippines. Um, around April and May, to Mongolia in May, to Thailand to visit um, and help uh, Ellen Embassy in August, uh, to not sure what the dates are, but it will be seven to eight days in August to December. Karimun uh, Island in Indonesia, September. Tanjung Pinang, we are open there. You can go in a cell group, in a family, one or two people, because it's so close, it's, we have the resources to organize anytime, okay? Karimbun, Tanjong Pinang, same thing. Uh, Batam, cool club is going. We just had to postpone uh, one that we're the, the, the going to be going very soon, but we're postponing it. We want to bring our young children to see what it is like uh, in uh, some of these mission areas. And then Timor-Leste, where Xing will lead a medical mission every year, and we can go and help. So go out there, go and see, go and have your heart be touched and go back again and again and again. Next thing is about prayer. Okay, these are all the people we want to be in the fields. Huh? We just don't like pray for the people. We want to pray for the people behind the people, the field. So uh, every cell group now, I believe, has adopted one or two missionaries for prayer and the people they represent. And you can do so individually also. We're going to be providing uh, updates uh, regularly. We've always had corporate prayer on Wednesday nights, uh, certain Wednesday nights, where we will pray for missions. And um, so that will continue. And this year, we want to start a corporate Sunday time of prayer, just uh, before or during announcements uh, on alternate months, starting this month. And, and all these are very doable, okay? From Batam to Karimbun, and you guys go on holiday to, to San Francisco, you can go to Nepal. Right? You can go to uh, uh, where, wherever. These are all very doable. And sometimes I think we just make too big a deal about the word God calling. Okay? God calling as though we have to jump 4,800 kilometers from Singapore to, to Pakistan. But if you are able to do it, if you are able to go on a mission trip, you are able to join in prayer, just do it. God has been calling us to join a mission trip and calling us to prayer for the longest time, okay? So that's the calling. And I just want to end with uh, this phrase. I believe it was Brother Andrew who said that the real calling of God is not to a place or to a career, but to everyday obedience. And as Winston and Shamin said, if you cannot obey reaching out to your next-door neighbor, then how are you going to obey going any further? So just everyday Obedience. If the Lord is pulling your heartstrings now and say, yeah, I think I really need to go to Tanjong Pinang or Karimbun for a three-day, uh, just Friday, Saturday, Sunday trip, then obey. Huh? Otherwise, you disobey. And say, ah, yeah, no, lah, this is only my mind playing tricks on me. Okay, so everyday obedience. If the Lord is calling you like this person who, who uh, Winston mentioned, that, that 
Actually, I know this person, right? He was about to go and do some course, a Christian course, on that day we were witnessing in Teban Gardens for Christmas. Then he said, no, I heard I need to be at Teban Gardens. So he went there, befriended this couple. And then on that same day that he prayed with this couple and led them to Christ, that same day, I happened to be in, in Teban Gardens just an hour before. And then he said, Pastor, come along. Can we remove idols? I said, oh, I'm very happy to do that. So I had three big trash bags of idols and worship paraphernalia in my car, which I later disposed of. So it's so joyful. It's so fun. Just everyday obedience. Okay, today is very long. Let's pray. Closing prayer. Father God, thank you so much for the joy you give us in mission, for giving us a front row seat into seeing how you work if we would only just obey and take on whatever challenges you put our way. Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here in PPH. In this season when there is much fear, we will be above the fear because God is with us. Life will go on. We will be your witnesses in the midst of fear. We will be examples of fearlessness, of obedience. And Lord, would you continue to tug at our hearts as to what specific areas you would like us to go to, whom we would want to commit to pray for, how we will obey you every day, every day. And may the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you, may the Lord give you peace in your heart, strength in the loins, strength in our hands and feet to journey this life of missions together with you and to receive the joy that you will give to us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.